Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast with Simon Cocking, Senior Editor. I'll be doing a series of interviews with people at the cutting edge of green tech, clean tech, and anything else that we think is interesting and worth listening to for you guys, our listeners. Okay, so today on the podcast, uh, we have somebody who's writing about a very topical and relevant issue. Um, and I guess we'll talk about the book. So first of all, uh, I, I'm talking to John today, John Friedman. So one, I guess, thanks for having, thanks for coming on the show. Well, Simon, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the invitation. Awesome. And um, you have just written a book. So I guess for people who don't know much about you, how would you describe what you do? And then then we'll chat about the book. Sure. Well, I work at what I call the intersection of corporate responsibility and communications. And what that mm-hmm. means is that I help companies to live their values and put them into practice every day, as well as engage in authentic conversations with their stakeholders. Because, you know, in communications, it's now all about conversation. It's no longer about spreading a message or sharing a story, except as that those things are an invitation to a conversation. And and so would is the book an attempt to, I guess, spend more than 140 characters uh, explaining this in more detail? What was the thinking behind writing the book? Well, I was very flattered to be asked to write the book by Business Expert Press, and it's available on their website and on Amazon. It's called Managing Sustainability, First Steps to First Class. And the idea behind the book was to take the thinking that I've had on my own, but also some of the great thought leaders that I've been privileged enough to work with and to connect with over the years and put together sort of a how-to and how I, based on how I have successfully implemented these kinds of programs in companies ranging from the construction industry to the food and beverage industry to the energy space, using sustainability as a culture driver for a business in order to help it achieve its business objectives and to enhance its reputation. And they, I, I do lectures on this at colleges and universities. I've written for Huffington Post and other blogs on the subject. And this book was kind of an attempt to put together a best of the thinking that I've come across over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, absolutely. And and I think it's, it's very important. And we've covered a few books about reimagining capitalism, trying to look at how we, uh, you know, save the planet and ourselves rather than shareholder value. So uh, one of the things you just said uh, is interesting in that you were saying that you work with uh, corporates to help them communicate what you do. Do you ever have a point where where sometimes they are doing that for transactional reasons and, and in effect they are maybe, they feel that they can just deliver a greenwashing perspective? How, how do you get them to actually engage and, and, and do more than just say the right things? That's a great question because nobody likes to be lied to, whether it's about the environment or the social footprint or the provenance of goods or services that you are purchasing or have in your home or the, or the health aspects of a product that you're using uh, on your body or eating. And so for me, that's where I get into the idea of the communications aspect of it, where it's a conversation. So then to point out, you know, if this is not accurate, if this is not true, if this is not real, the internet is 24-7. If someone can see someone who is a child providing labor in one of your facilities or one of your suppliers' facilities, that's going to end up mm-hmm. in the conversation. And so the concept is transparency. And, and the phrase I use is transparency is only scary to a company until they accept the fact 
that somebody somewhere already knows. And so if you tell a lie, that person will be in, inspired to correct the record. Well, wait a minute, you said this, but look, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm experiencing. That You're not doing what you say you do, or you're not living the values you say you're living. That is deadly to a brand. Yeah, and people so, forgive a mistake much more than they'll forgive an outright falsehood. Ah, uh, um, so no, go on. Sorry, after you. Well, just that if you do speak to your values and you are honest and are authentic and are transparent, then when something inevitably happens, and let's face it, human beings are not perfect. And I worked for one company that had over four hundred thousand employees, and I would make the point, just simple human error at 1% means 4,000 people just made a mistake today. Not through malfeasance, not through corruption, not through any bad intent. That's just human. But if your message is out there and it's true and it's honest and it's transparent and reflects who you are, then people will see that as an anomaly, which is what it is, rather than indicative of who you are. Yeah, look, uh, I, I think that makes sense. And it's like a, a teacher-student relationship that if you don't come across as knowing everything, then they give you a bit more slack to understand that, that your intent is good, even though you don't know the answers to everything. So th that seems a more uh, strategic way to go forwards. Um, uh, as you mentioned a little bit, uh, we are seeing a lot of very positive things happening in the environmental sector and in, 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 in the goal towards sustainability. At the same time, with climate change, we are facing some massive changes, uh, challenges. So, so is the glass half full on this one? Can we make the changes that we need to make? Well, I think the last part of what you said is the key point. We need to make these changes. And one way or another, we or the planet will correct for what we have done. Unfortunately, we see what happens when the planet corrects, when nature corrects. You know, I love nature. Nature's beautiful. Nature's powerful. But nature is not always kind. And so when you see us you know, encroaching on forests and interacting with species that we haven't before, that's where you get things like COVID, the outbreak of new and deadly diseases. So nature will always find a way to return itself to a balance. Nature and the earth shrugged off the dinosaurs and over 90% of the species that have existed on this planet have extincted through the process of evolution. The question is, are we intelligent enough, determined enough, and have enough sense of shared fate enough to do it for the large number of us that exist on the planet, the billions of us on the planet, or is the planet going to have to through constrained resources, suddenly there are too many people for the planet to sustain. And we see this all the time um, in, in smaller uh, environments where nature gets out of balance and suddenly, you know, you remove the predator and suddenly the animal that was the prey or the plant that was the food just takes over. And so the balance is then restored because there's now an abundance of prey or an abundance of food and the the higher um, animal comes in and, 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 and it goes back and forth until it reaches a stasis point. So, you know, if, if the planet has the carrying capacity for the number of people that are currently alive today, and it's a growing population all the time, it has to be that the people are smart enough to stop polluting the planet and exploiting the resources faster than the planet can regenerate. Then you can add the political side, the social aspect of it. If we do things that are politically unstable, well, that leads to massive disruptions as well.
Yeah. Long <laughs> answer. But, but the fact is, it's not a choice, I guess, is what I'm saying. The question is, yeah. will we do it mindfully and thoughtfully and respectfully with each other and ourselves, or will it be done by an outside force? Nature. Yeah. And I guess, so So my next question kind of leads, leads from that, which... Uh, uh, 2020 has forced a lot of changes on humans that they wouldn't necessarily have done. So, uh, you know, there's been like, a, to some degree, a behavioral reset. Do, do you feel that this has the potential to move the needle in terms of maybe uh, more sustainable living, more more locally based living, um, perhaps uh, less less travel in, on in planes, or or do you think come 2021 and the vaccine, uh, humans will just try to rebound back to how things were before? I think you know the concept, and it, it was originally in this, the sustainability community that was said, build back better. And, and it's been taken over as a political theme in the United States by the successful presidential candidate. But that's the key message. Now, yes, there will be the absolute um, desire from a lot of people to go back to the way it was, to, to do everything the way it was and return to normal, if you will. And that's natural. But I also hope that this has been a big enough watershed event where people will look at it and say, yes, but what did we do? What do we do to prevent the next one? You know, we haven't had a global pandemic like this in a hundred years. And so a lot of the lessons from uh, 1918 have been forgotten, like the simple measures of wearing a mask and washing your hands and socially distancing. And we're seeing the same exact progression happen now where those things are where people walk away from those things and the disease because it's just a virus it's not malevolent it's just trying to survive it is a form of life that is trying to propagate and live will just take advantage of that but so i i go back and forth between being hopeful and 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 seeing how many people are just looking to just avoid the lessons no matter what but you know there's a clear lesson here of listening to the science and following and heeding the scientists' warnings, because a global pandemic has been predicted for decades, not quite as long as climate change has been predicted, by the way. That's been known scientifically and understood longer, but uh, this does give an opportunity for the layperson to look at it. And you look at some of the, and I hate to keep going back to the younger generation is our savior because that abdicates the responsibility of people like me who are hopefully mid-career still um, for doing our part but the other lesson I see in this is the idea, uh, you know, we saw the rise of populism in a lot of places around the world and the lack of global thinking. Hopefully that will also start to shift back as a result of COVID. Because if we don't learn the lessons from this, you know, there's an old saying in communications, never waste a good crisis. Mm -hmm. And nobody would wish for COVID. And there is absolutely nothing good about COVID except that it is not as bad as climate change will be for our species if we don't address it. Climate change will be worse. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, absolutely. And I guess in some ways, like by the end of 2019, uh, there was momentum growing towards doing more about climate change. You know, you had the Greta Thunberg and various yeah. schools all around the world doing things. So we definitely seem to be reaching a point where people were saying you know we have to do stuff now otherwise it'll be too late and then and then we've had a funny year where because of corona and lockdown some things have changed 
positively and other things have been put on hold and then other aspects of CO2 emissions have gone up. So uh, it's definitely a, a mixed bag. Um, and, and in this way, for example, um, we had Brett King on and he was advocating that um, regardless of bringing jobs back to the coal industry, renewables are putting on millions of jobs, you know, in solar yeah. and uh, wind and everything. So I guess what are your thoughts on that we could have a paradigm shift uh, driven by economics without having to argue even about climate change? Uh, if renewable energy continues to fall in the price per unit, uh, could, could this potentially drive us to a better place, e e even with all the you know climate change deniers, you know, on the sidelines? Well, absolutely. And I think that's the difference between environmentalism and sustainability, which marries the concepts of environmental, social and economic and looks at the balance. Because if it's you know good for the environment, but bad economically, it won't happen to, you know, your opposite scenario of what you said, which is if it's good environmentally and good economically, it will happen. Economics will has to be taken into consideration. So if people come up with solutions that are, you know, price prohibitive and even the wealthy, you know, the poor people in the wealthiest nations can't afford it. It will not happen, even if theoretically on paper it looks like the, the the great simple, you know, silver bullet solution. But if you can align cost, social benefit, and environmental benefit, then you have that's what's sustainable, and that's the goal. So yeah, the cost of wind and solar are, are dropping precipitously, which is fantastic. Now, with COVID, some of the other uh, fuels are also dropping, but which ones will be the most um, efficient and the least expensive long-term? Not just the initial startup, but long-term. If I switch my house and I have to LED light bulbs, you know, I'm not changing light bulbs nearly as often as I used to be. I'm not mm -hmm. spending as much on electricity as I used to be. There's a perfect example, and you know, the light quality is, it took a while, but LEDs are there, and now, you know, the social aspect of my home is equal or better than it was before. The economics and the environment are completely aligned. So I think finding things like that, my company where I, I work, uh, we've gone to all remote working. I haven't been to my office uh, in so long. I, I don't miss it at all. I miss some of the human interactions and some of the, you know, the digital tools that we have have made it easier for us to stay connected and we will have meetings in person again. But I think a lot of companies are rethinking their footprints. A lot of businesses are realizing we don't have to do this. Now, there is a downside to that. If we're all working out of our homes and our homes are less energy efficient than an office building, we actually consume more energy in the process of doing business than we did in a central location. If let's say there was a, you know, a highly energy efficient building powered by uh, entirely renewables and the homes that employees are going to are not. So you have to look at it because you can rob one place and, and you know, or save it, have a savings in one location that doesn't necessarily provide a savings in another. But one of the areas where I can clearly see a benefit is the reduction in traffic. And yeah. people in, like Los Angeles and other cities and in China around the world are posting pictures. We can see the mountains for the first time in two generations because of the, the lack of pollution um, from the vehicles that aren't traveling during the, the, the peak of the COVID shutdowns. And while the, the reason for it was terrible, people got to see something, a positive benefit from it, not, not 20, 30, 50 years down climate change. They were seeing it in, their, in a few matter of weeks in their own lives and their own experience. And to me, people 
there's an imperative for people to want to make, you know, that's something good I had. I don't want to give it up. Now, the other thing that's on the flip side, because everything's you know complicated, people, because of COVID, may be like I am, reluctant to get into public transit or to go back into public transit, which is my way of getting into my office. I know that I can keep my car and my office and my home clean. I just can't vouch for the, the train that I would take. So we have to watch out for the negative side effect of it as well. So everything is sort of a balance of what is the right lesson to be learned from the experience. Yeah, look, I think I think that's well explained. And uh, I, I was also kind of thinking, so, you know, like my wife's very into the tiny homes movement. And then we've seen a lot about people uh, doing cob uh, energy efficient things at home. And so they, like, while you've outlined, uh, if home is less energy efficient than work, then then that's a net loss. But at the same time, uh, if if the home becomes more environmentally outfitted and, and, and sustainable and is generating its own energy, you know, you also have the off the grid approach where where people become more sustainable uh, and resilient. And, uh, and and so in, in the UK and Ireland, for example, there's been a massive upsurge in interest in gardening. And, and you can see a very, a very linear reason for that, which is, ah, oh, well, if all the supermarkets ran out of food and I actually did have some growing either in a window box or in, in, in a raised bed outside, uh, I, I'm at least taking steps towards being partially self-reliant. So uh, like you say, like I think with everything for, you know, one step forwards, two steps forwards, uh, it can throw out unexpected things. But but at the same time, I guess that, that's change and disruption and that always happens. But we could see some good things, like you say, that you can see the mountains and there's less traffic. Um, and, and conversely, I mean, I've had jobs where I had a four hour commute every day. And, and I don't oh, think God. any of us really got much out of that, except the rules where you had to be in the office five days a week. So, you know, and, and again, it was just done because it was that was the way it was done. So <laughs> I, I hear you. Um, so so like. From John Muir onwards, there's been a lot of uh, Walden, Aldo, Leopold. There's been a lot of great writers. How, where do you get your inspiration from and how do you remain up to date to inform your thinking and your ideas? I did mention that I, I speak at colleges and universities and hearing the ideas that are coming from the next generation of business and sustainability leaders is one place that I get inspiration. But of course, there's, you know, the, the unilateral levers and the other names and the Patagonias and the other companies that we all have heard of a thousand times in, in every sustainability meeting. But the good idea can come from anywhere and anyone. And I'm going to see, you know, one of the things I've talked about is this conspicuous consumption, which is largely the American culture that sort of dominated the 20th century capitalism model because that's sort of, we were the largest superpower. There, there were a lot of political things that happened. You know, that's why you see kids in the, the plains of Africa wearing American branded t-shirts because mm -hmm. those companies are just ubiquitous. But I posited the question that the, the, the best culture, you know, isn't necessarily the dominant culture in terms of things like work-life balance and, you know, living wages and maternity leave and all the other things that are sort of out there is in how we consume and how we use things. And it was a kid in a class who, when I posited, which one do you think is or should be the, the, next, the next culture? And the person suggested that 
it should be defined by artificial intelligence and technology putting in the parameters of you know what is the effectively most right number of days of vacation that you should have that maximizes productivity and balances the human condition and and, and etc and their their comment was if an ai were to do it it would take away the cultural bias that we each bring as a member of our own culture and society i thought that was a brilliant idea and it was just so, a, a random person. So I, I encourage people, listen to people around you. You never know where that next great idea that will just inspire you comes from. There's inspiration everywhere. It, and it also does come, as you mentioned, from nature. Um, so it, a lot of places, if you look for it, and you have the mindset of looking for things to inspire you, because goodness knows, especially in 2020, it is easy to look around and find things that are depressing right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like you say too there's the flip side i mean i guess like so 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 we're in the media and we and obviously we write stories but at the same time i i try not to then spend my downtime uh following how many deaths and murders have happened in the capital city here you know <laughs> like because you know th there's like youtube and other you know even wordpress has been fantastic for allowing people that are just doing interesting and positive things to just follow their own channel and literally and metaphorically, uh, and then put it up in a way that other people can learn from it. So, if I, you know, for, for, as, for as much negativity is out there, uh, there's a lot of very positive things. And I guess, you know, we have it within our power to make a choice about which we choose to give our time and energy to. So, you know, I, exactly. I guess. Exactly. So, so I'm on, on digital media. I'm on Twitter, as are you. And, uh, and I've engaged people on Twitter because if you're interested in sustainability and that's what I talk about, then other people who are interested in it will talk about it with me. And suddenly I, I meet somebody and occasionally I've actually met some people in real life. There's one person I've collaborated with for over a decade, finally met them in person uh, hmm. um, two years ago. And everyone was like, well, you guys have known each other for years. We had actually never been in the same room. And the person that they were online is the exact same person that they were in real life. And it was wonderful to finally have that face-to-face -face connection back when we had face-to-face -face connections. But if you, it's like choosing your friends. It's choosing your community. If you surround yourself with negative people, you will feel negative. If you surround yourself with positive people and people who are working toward the change and people who believe in these things, and, and I'm not saying you should be insulated from other ideas and other thoughts, quite the contrary. You want those other ideas and other thoughts, but you want them coming from a place of progress and positivity and trying to do good and not just being the, the naysayers all the time. Because there are so many things that we could do better and technology and passion combined have, have led to so many things that even in my, over the course of my career that I have seen and things that I am seeing that are emerging now. You know, the use of drones to measure pollution levels and methane emissions. And they can actually now tell the difference between natural and man-made. And therefore, you can manage those things because you can measure them. And they're invisible to the naked eye. Yeah, look, I, I think drones, yeah, I mean, and they began by creating some fantastic images photography but then they like you say they realized that you could fly them up to the top of chimneys and vents to assess things that you just couldn't get a human safely up there um which is sure 
And think about tracking the, the traceability of things are like things like sustainable palm oil. You can fly over a farm and make sure that they're following the procedures they say you are. Like if, if your company has a commitment to these things and, and is insisting that your suppliers are following the same sustainability, environmental, social uh, programs that you believe in and, 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 and the sustainable development goals, you don't have to send someone there now. You can just look at the Google Earth image. And you can yes. tell it there. It, it's right there. Uh, and things like blockchain and uh, enabling us to look at the chain of custody. So, like right now today, I ordered something three days ago. I saw it when it left the factory. It was, you know, I know when it was given to the postal service. I know when it, and I know when it's going to be delivered to my home. So now, as as a sustainability professional, I can know, not just hope and and believe in. I can know that that product coming into my my company has followed, I, I can trace it and it's followed the proper practices. And if it deviates from that, then I can go to the specific step and say to that, the person or company that's responsible for that step, here's where you're out of line. Here's what you need to do differently. And then use the power of my purchasing power to make a choice whether or not I'm going to continue with that person. Because as I say, human error happens, but if someone's systemically doing things wrong, you can you can you can you know I always say punish the positive behavior by just shifting your dollars to someone or or your euros or whatever to the organization that is living the same values that you aspire to because when you're asking customers to buy from you based on a set of values you better be making your purchasing decisions based on those same values. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think we are definitely seeing that, and people are choosing not just on price but also on alignment of ethics and values. Um, I have two questions left. So uh, what trends in 2021 do you think might happen soonest? Like what, what elements of these things we're advocating for do you think are the most achievable and we might see in the near future? One of the things I see is businesses rethinking their workspaces. Even when there's a vaccine and we can go back, there's a real question is, should we go back? I'm seeing more and more positions online offered as remote positions because people are starting to realize that the best talent may be too expensive to move across the world, but maybe something you can access. And that's both incredibly empowering to the person who is that talent, who now has an opportunity that they never had before, but that's also frightening to the people who are in, let's say, the physical community where that business is located, who now have to compete worldwide for a job that they were only competing with the people in, in that community. But rethinking the workspace, I, I do work with a, a company called Installnet, and they reconfigure office spaces. And they've got this great program where if a, an office is getting rid of everything from desks to computers, they recycle what has to be recycled. But the first thing they do is they look at what can be refurbished and sold and what can be donated to the community. So you've got the environment and social and economic aspect all lining up. And they work with some big companies around the world, um, Genentech, Lidos, Nestle, Bank of America, BlackRock. And these companies are rethinking their physical spaces, as, as are a lot of smaller companies, to decide what is the right footprint for my company. And I think that trend is going to continue because right now my company has saved a ton of money on not heating and cooling and lighting many buildings where people work, hundreds of people, are they eager to go back to spending that money? Or do they look at fewer offices 
shared common workspaces and the idea of a remote workforce, because we also did a survey of our employees, and we did this before COVID, who were remote workers. I work one day a week remote. And they, we asked our employees, how important is the ability to work one, two, or three days remotely to you? And the answer was 9.7 out of 10. Because whether it's time with your family, time with your loved ones, time playing sports, time socializing, or just time not staring at the car in front of you or sitting on a train, nobody likes commuting. And that was actually a benefit when we told prospective employees that, that we had telework as part of our employee package for certain positions. We did the math and it was equivalent to how many days off that you were getting equivalent if you weren't sitting in traffic or riding the rails to get to our offices. And people really resonated with that. So I think the rethink of the office space is going to be a trend in 2021 because it's going to be exactly what we talked about earlier. Do we go back to normal or do we go back to better than what we had before? Yeah, I think absolutely, and and I and I think it, it it can be a lot better. I mean, and even like you know, uh, and often people are still putting in as much work, but they're just maybe working m more efficiently and more smartly uh, with in between doing the school run or you know things that maybe were only five, ten, fifteen minutes, but by having that, you know, you 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 work before you you put them in, you, you know, like. It does make sense. And like you say, if you take out the commute to just be looking at a computer screen in a different building to the place where you could be doing it, then, you know, why not? Particularly if productivity and quality of the work remains the same. So, yeah, and, absolutely. And employee engagement, you know, because employees are changing out. You know, when my dad was in business, he never understood this casual Fridays or casual work. He was always, you know, dressed in a suit because you're going to work, you're doing serious business, you have to look like serious business. But what I see really is, and I, I know it's a bit of an American um, example, uh, but uh, uh, hopefully it translates, is a rejection of what I call the Batman-Bruce Wayne paradox. If you think about Batman, and don't worry, I'm not going to go way into the deep things, but Batman was basically- Go, go okay, for it. <laughs> spoiler alert, he's Bruce Wayne, this multimillionaire industrialist. And so he's doing work and making money by day and doing good at night. And now we're seeing that people want the business that they're in where they bring their time and their talent. They want it to match their values. But I'll go further with Batman and Bruce Wayne because most of the problems that Bruce, that Batman was fixing were caused by Bruce Wayne. If you think about the Joker fell into a vat of chemicals at Wayne Enterprises. Uh -huh. So he was, so it's a compensation for the bad thing you do through your day job is the night job and people are rejecting that and that's another big trend because they 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 don't want to you know give back in the evenings or on weekends they want to do good while doing well for themselves and we've seen research after research after research worldwide saying this is a trend and again getting back to what we were talking about the work life balance employees are actually valuing work life balance over their paycheck that the dollar or or euro or what have you being the primary driver is fading away. I mean, it's still important, but people are starting to want to balance in their lives. And that, if that's a so that's a trend globally, which the research, you know, McKinsey and others have shown, that that's not going to go backward. No one's going to sit there and say, "I want to live a 
less balanced, less healthy, less comfortable life, spend less time with the people I love in order to make more money. I think that's gone away. And that's why I say that, 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 that model has, has, is passe at this point. And I hope it is. Yeah, look, I, 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 I think so, because there were the studies also about that if you give people bonuses, uh, you have a point of diminishing returns after a certain mm-hmm. degree, as in throwing more money at someone doesn't make them happier or work better. And, and while we have a paradigm in the moment where, where CEOs do get 300 times what the staff are on, it doesn't make it better. So, yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Uh, do you have anything else? I was going to then say, how can people find out more about you and your work and what you do? Well, as I said at the outset, I'm really, um, I'm about both living the values and engaging in authentic conversations. My email is johnfriedmancsr at gmail.com. I'm at John Friedman on Twitter. I've been on Twitter long enough to use my real name. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if you can post a bio with the, the podcast, that's great. Please reach out to me. The book's available on Amazon and Business Expert Press. And I, I look forward to hearing from people because that's where the next great idea is going to come from, not from individual, quote, thought leadership, but in what I call collaborative co-creation. Awesome. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Simon. I've enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed that podcast and we will be bringing you more across as diverse and interesting a range of stories as we can find. You're welcome to reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn or by email and give us any feedback and let us know what you'd like us to cover in the future. Thanks and keep listening.